Amen. What does God desire from his people? That's the question I want us to start off this morning. What does God desire from us, from his people? Faithful church attendance? Consistent Bible reading? Maybe a robust grasp of theology? All of those things are good, and they are important. Don't misunderstand. But God wants more than that from us. The Bible tells us that God desires the hearts of his people. He wants our love and affection. He wants us to be, he wants to be working in us and changing us and living through us so that we increasingly display his character. God wants an intimate relationship with us for our joy and for his glory. And so the title of the message today is A Healthy Relationship with God. That's what I want us to think about. What, what, looks, what does a healthy relationship with God look like? And that's what I've already tried to describe to you. So please turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 7. If you're using the Black Bibles, that is found on page 795. We're in the middle of a series through the Minor Prophet book of Zechariah. So, Zechariah chapter 7, page 795. God, in his grace, was restoring his relationship with the returned exiles there in Jerusalem. The years of exile and temple desolation under God's judgment are over. That's the good news we've been hearing about as we study Zechariah. Through those eight night visions of Zechariah that we studied in chapters 1 through 6, God has assured the Jews that he has forgiven them and that he is returning to them. And remember, we also saw God promised that he was going to drive out the corruption of the land and enable them to rebuild the temple and that he would once again dwell with them, dwell in their midst. And so in light of these gracious promises, the people started rebuilding the temple. And I, I could say for real this time. <laughs> they started rebuilding the temple for real. Because like 20 some years earlier, when they first returned to Jerusalem after the exile, a group of them had started, you know, and with, with good intentions, but had quickly become discouraged and faced a lot of opposition, and, and then so it had, the project had just floundered for nearly 20 years. But now, God in his grace, through the preaching of Zechariah, through the preaching of another prophet named Haggai, he has been bringing these promises to them, encouraging them to rebuild the temple. It's like God was giving them a restart, a second chance to be his covenant people, a second chance to be faithful to the Mosaic covenant and experience the blessings of the covenant. He was giving them a second chance for them to enjoy God in their midst, for them to be set apart as his holy people. A second chance. And so today in 
We're going to consider Zechariah chapter 7 and 8. And in this passage, God through the prophet Zechariah calls Israel to renewed covenant obedience. Right? It's, like we're, it's kind of like a restart, like I said. And so now he's calling them to be faithful to the covenant in light of God's grace and mercy and returning to them. So that's heading number one if you're taking notes in the outline. Israel's call to renewed covenant obedience. And this is where we're going to spend a bulk of our time today. Because that's what chapter 7 and 8 is about. Israel's call to renewed covenant obedience. And then we'll, we'll, we'll expand on that as we go through chapter 7 and 8. So look at verse 1 of chapter 7 with me. In the fourth year of King Darius, remember the Persian king, there's still this, this shadow of foreign rule over them. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Shizalov, I guess is how you say it, right? This is the second time date that we've had here. Uh, so, we, you know, when you do all the calculations, you know that approximately two years have passed since the beginning of the book when Zechariah received all those night visions, right? That's what we've been studying. So there's been two years that have passed since then, since those visions. And like I said, they've been rebuilding the temple in light of, those, in light of the word of the Lord that came to them through those visions. And so we know from Ezra chapter 6 that they're only about two years away from completing the temple. So really, they're about halfway done with the, rebuilding the temple at this point, okay? So that just kind of gives you a, a context there. We're at the halfway point of this rebuilding project. And because of of the progress, seeing this consistent progress in the temple being rebuilt, it actually sparks this um, situation, this occasion that we read about here in chapter 7. A delegation from Bethel, which was about 12 miles north of Jerusalem, okay, a delegation from there is, is, comes to Jerusalem and asks the religious leaders a question there in Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. Now the people of Bethel had sent, and here's their names, right? Sherzar, Rejim, Melech, and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, the religious leaders, here's their question. Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? So this delegation from Bethel is asking the religious leaders if they need to continue observing a fast in the fifth month. And you say, well, wait a minute, I didn't even see the word fast in there. How do you know that's what they're asking about? Well, we'll see it later, but look at those words, weep and abstain, right? Weep is associated with penance and lamentation over sin and seeking God's favor. And abstain, there's the fasting part of it, right? Abstain refers to fasting, Now, if you go back to the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic Law only required one fast per year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. But what we learn as we get into chapter 8, specifically um, chapter 8, verse 19, there's four fasts mentioned. And so what's, what's happening here is since the fall of Jerusalem... Right? Since the destruction of, of the city and the destruction of the temple and the exile into Babylon, since that time, the remnant, the Jews, had instituted several fasts. Right? I mean, that was a life-changing event, right? And they knew it was God's judgment. And so they had actually instituted four fasts. 
One in the fourth month to mourn the capture of the city. Another one in the fifth month to remember the burning of the city and destruction of the temple. That's the one they're asking about here. Uh, Another one in the seventh month to commemorate when the assassination of a Babylonian appointed governor had led to the massacre of 80 Jews. And then another fast in the tenth month to mark the day Nebuchadnezzar began his siege on Jerusalem. So they, this, uh, and during this period of time, God's people were observing all these fasts. And like I said, the one in the fifth month uh, was specifically to remember when the city was burned and the temple was destroyed. And so now that the temple's being rebuilt, the delegation from Bethel is kind of like, do we really need to keep celebrating this fast? I mean, look, you know, we're, we're getting a new temple, right? It's, it's a fair question. It's fine. But that question gives the occasion for God, through the prophet Zechariah, to address more than just whether to keep a fast or not, but to address the bigger issue of the people's overall relationship with God. And that's what we have here in chapters 7 and 8. Again, since God was returning to them and giving them this second chance to be his covenant people, this was a time to call them to covenant faithfulness so they do not fall back into the sins that led to God's judgment in, in the exile in the first place, right? But the people we're going to see already need to be warned and rebuked because already they're starting to display some of the same sinful attitudes of the previous generations. Look at verse 4. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Notice Zechariah is saying, is to say, God's telling him to say to all the people, not just Bethel. This isn't just a Bethel issue anymore. This is going out to all of God's people now. During those 70 years of exile and temple desolation, when you had all those fasts and all those religious feasts, God's asking through, through the prophet, were you doing those things for God or for yourselves? Were you truly seeking God or were you just going through the motions? And so you can kind of hear the implications behind those questions, don't you? The implication is that their motives have by and large been selfish. They were not sincerely seeking the Lord. They were not doing these things for God's glory. They weren't doing them to draw closer to God. Apparently, again, by and large, they were not doing these things in faith, but merely out of, what, duty, routine, And again, this just reminds us of this truth in Scripture that God has always cared more about obedience to His Word than just performing religious rituals. God has always cared more about a sincere relationship with Him than just going through the motions. And so already you're seeing how this has application for us in the New Covenant, doesn't it? Look at verse 7. Again, God's going to point them back. And, and, and remind them of these important truths. Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowlands were inhabited? What he's saying is, you know, the, the questions of, of rebuke that, that 
Zechariah has already given to him. Those principles of God caring more about the relationship and the heart than just going through the motions. He's saying God has been proclaiming this for generations. He's been saying this through the former prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. That God cares about the heart, not just the ritual. And so here's a sampling of those, um, of examples of that. Of how the people had fallen into that. God had had um, rebuked them, sought to correct them through the prophets. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Right? Because he knew their hearts at that time were, were far from him. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 3 through 6. Why have we fasted and you, you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the, is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? It is not the fast that I choose to loose, or sorry, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Do you see what God has been telling his, his people for years now through the prophets? I care about you humbling your heart and and truly seeking me, and I care about you living out uh, justice and righteousness and and mercy. I want you to walk the talk, is what God's constantly been telling his people, right? Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. See? Yeah, do the fast. That's fine, but, but do them the right way. Do them from the heart, right? Micah chapter 6, many of you may be familiar with this passage, Micah 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. See, they need to be reminded of this. Seek the Lord with your heart and live it out. Remember, how is the the law summarized? Love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. And they were already not doing that. The delegation had asked them about fasting, but Zechariah reminds them that the Lord is much more interested in relationship with him and obedience to his word. So basically, verse 7, back to Zechariah, right? Verse 7, when he references the former prophets, and notice he said, when these former prophets were prophesying, when they were bringing the word of the Lord, I forget, I don't have it in front of me, but he's saying, man, the cities all around Jerusalem and Judah were inhabited, right? Right? 
I mean, that was, when th- that was before the judgment. That was when things were going great. And yet this was the warning, and they didn't heed the warning. And now when you look out there, you see oh, things are not <laughs> prosperous, right? You guys have just gone through 70 years of, of God's judgment. And so basically in verse 7, he's saying, have you guys learned the lesson from the exile? Have you learned what God truly desires from you that's what he's saying he's warning them your your forefathers did not heed the warnings from the former prophets and so God's judgment came upon them and now you guys are in danger of making the same mistake you created all these extra fasts to mourn over the destruction of Jerusalem that would be fine if you use those fasts to truly seek God but already you've fallen into the same pattern of heartless ritual and selfish motives God is not interested in outward religion when hearts are far from him. He is not interested in a lot of religious show when lives are not walking the talk. So what does God want from his people then? Verse 8. Zechariah 7 verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So see, God summarizes the, mess, the heart of the message of the former prophets and states that he values justice more than religious rituals like fasting. There in verse 9 where it says, Render true judgments. We need to think broader than, than just simply, hey, make sure you're being honest and faithful in the legal cases, okay? I mean, yes, it does mean that, but he means more than that. It could actually be translated judge true justice. And what we need to understand here uh, is in the Bible, justice goes beyond courtrooms. Again, it, it needs to definitely be present there, certainly. But justice goes beyond courtrooms, It has a broad sense in Scripture. It's often paired with righteousness, meaning right living, right? In places like Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, right? Talking to the Lord. Steadfastness and love and faithfulness go before you. You see, justice and righteousness together in the Bible kind of summarize the, the ideal ethic for God's people. Being just, being right, showing mercy and kindness and compassion, displaying the character of God. You, in the Bible, you hear justice called a, to, uh, referred to in reference to right relationships, showing kindness and mercy to to the relationships within the community. You see it uh, referred to not as external acts merely, but as thoughts and motivations. This all comes under the umbrella of justice. God's people are to judge or determine what is right and true in their relationships, and then they're to do them. So again, what God wants from his people, what he wants from the people of Judah there in Zechariah 7 is for them to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. Religious rituals like fasting and sacrifices and feasts, those do have their place under the covenant, certainly, the old covenant. But they are meant to be tools, tools for the people to draw near to God in worship and, and draw near to Him in repentance and, and, and dependence and thanksgiving. 
They're not to just be done as a mindless, heartless ritual. And certainly they're not to be done while your life is contradictory to it. God desires a healthy relationship with his people. So we see in verses 1 through 10, God through Zechariah calls the return exiles to renewed covenant obedience. And now, beginning in verse 11 and all the way through chapter 8, He's going to give them several reasons or motivations for this renewed covenant obedience, right? He's already kind of started to do that, but it's going to get even more uh, direct or explicit, I guess you could say. Here's the first reason. In view of God's past judgment, in view of God's past judgment, we see that in verses 11 through 14. Verse 11 says, but they refused to pay attention And turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. See, he's he's pointing to the previous generation. The generation that suffered the judgment of God in the exile, right? Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus, the land that they, they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. Again, their forefathers were unfaithful to the Lord. They committed idolatry. They, they broke the covenant by mistreating their fellow people of God. And God sent the prophets in his kindness and mercy. He sent prophets to warn them of the coming judgment, to to exhort them to repent, to get back to being faithful to the covenant. But what did they do with that message? They ignored it. They refused to listen to the word of the Lord. I mean, it says it like four different ways there. You know, they closed their ears, they stiffened their necks, their shoulders were stubborn, their hearts were hard. They're not going to move, they're not going to turn, they're not going to change. So God shut his ears to their prayers because they were asking God only for things only when it suited them. They weren't worshiping. They weren't caring about others. They, they were just like, you know, God, I need this. God, I need that. You know, like me, me, me. All the while being unfaithful to him. They treated God as their servant. Therefore, the Lord's anger came upon them in judgment. Just as he had warned, he brought upon them the curses of the covenant. Remember, they're living under this conditional Mosaic covenant. Blessings for obedience, but curses for disobedience. God raised up the Babylonians to conquer them and destroy Jerusalem and the temple. The people of God were scattered as exiles, and the, and the promised land was left desolate. And so this is a warning to the current generation, who's now rebuilding, right, and getting this restart. And don't go down that same path. Don't let the same thing happen to you. Stay faithful to God and obey him from the heart. So Zechariah calls Israel to renewed covenant obedience. Secondly, in view of God's future blessings. Right? Chapter 7 was kind of negative, you know, looking at the past and the judgments and saying, you know, don't make those same mistakes. And and they were warnings, needed warnings, right? But now, chapter 8, the reasons focus more on the positive, In view of God's future blessings, I'm calling you to renewed covenant obedience. Verse 1 of chapter 8, And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I'm jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. 
Now, we tend to think of jealousy being a bad thing, right? But God's God's jealousy is good. It's pure. His jealousy is his willingness to defend what rightly belongs to him. Okay? You know, there's a place for jealousy in that. You know, if, if, if someone's trying to steal a man's wife, you know, the, the husband has a right to be jealous. Hey, no, she's my wife, right? That's how God is with his people. Because God is jealous, because he will fight for what rightly belongs to him, he will judge those who oppose his people. And as they saw with the exile, he will discipline and, and bring judgment upon his old covenant people in order to bring them to repentance. God's jealousy is the grounds for his turning to his people. I mean, those are beautiful, encouraging words yet again that we've seen several times in in Zechariah. I have returned. I'm coming back to you. I'm going to be with you again. That's what we saw in 116. God has turned to his people with mercy. After the temple's rebuilt, God's glory is going to return to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem once again. When the Lord's glory returns to the city, Jerusalem will be called the, the faithful city with its inhabitants reflecting God's character. And so and then verses 4 and 5 describe the, the promised future prosperity of Jerusalem. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. You see how that's showing joy and peace. Whereas if you read in Lamentations chapter 2, it described the streets as full of death, right? When the Babylonians came and, and were killing people and hauling them away, what did the streets look like then? They were awful. But he's saying, no, now they're going to be full of old people and kids playing. Verse 6, thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Marvelous, carrying that idea of improbable, incredible, wonderful, miraculous. It's like this future, you know, they, they look at what has happened to Jerusalem. They, they remember what it, what, you know, the depths to which it sunk under the, the destruction and exile. And, and now to... You know, to think about what he's saying and what it could be like again, they're like, this is too good to be true. But God's saying, it, it's not, it's not too, too good to be true. I can do it. <laughs> and I will do it. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. God will bring his people back to Jerusalem from the lands to which they had been scattered during the exile. Again, they're getting a second chance. (laughs) Once again, they shall be his people, and he shall be their God. Verse 9, thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who in those days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. Now foundation there, he's not talking about, again, to the, the failed restart 20-some years ago. He's talking about like two years ago under the preaching of Zechariah and Haggai when they started rebuilding the temple again because of those night visions that we heard in chapters 1 through 6. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, be encouraged, right? You were encouraged by the word of the Lord coming to you through the prophets then. Well, here's some more encouragement coming to you now through the prophets. Keep going, keep building, keep rebuilding that temple. We're getting a restart here. 
Let God's word and promises continue to motivate you so that you will finish building the temple. And again, importantly, so that you will um, seek to be true and faithful to him. Faithful to the, uh, this renewed covenant obedience. Verse 10. For before those days there, there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit and the ground shall give its produce. And the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. When they were under God's judgment during the exile, life was very difficult. But now that God is returning to his people in mercy, those covenant curses are going to be replaced with covenant blessings. And those blessings could be summed up, notice there, by peace. Peace, which is more than just the absence of warfare. It's, it's that shalom, right? It's that, that full experience of God's salvation and blessing. And he gives some pictures to describe that, right? The vine gives fruit. The ground gives produce. The heavens give dew. Notice in verse 13 that when Jerusalem was experiencing those covenant blessings from the Lord, uh, or as they're experiencing those covenant blessings from the Lord, they're going to be a blessing to other nations, and he says, just like the other nations saw when you were under judgment, and they were kind of like, oh my goodness, you know what happened to them? Pugh. You know, God is done with them. He has wiped them clean, man. Now people are going to look and say, whoa, whoa, what is God doing here? He is blessing you guys. They're going to take note of this. In light of these promises, again, the people are exhorted to have their hands be strong, trust God's promises, complete the work of the temple. Verse 14, for thus says the Lord of hosts, says I purpose to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. In the past, God was angry with their forefathers, but now he's saying Jerusalem and Judah will experience the good things of God. And so because of these promises and blessing, they should not fear, but they need to obey. And that's what verses 16 through 19 are about. Obey. These are the things that you shall do, verse 16. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Right? Don't fall into that old pattern. Verse 18, And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth month, and the fast of the seventh month, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. You guys have been, you know, for years now, you guys have been celebrating all these fasts. Well, remember when that happened, that bad thing. Remember when that bad thing happened. Remember that? He said, I'm going to turn all that into, I'm going to turn those fasts into feasts. This is going to be times for joy. And let that uh, grace motivate you to obedience. Love truth and peace. Love God. Love neighbor. God will bless you so much that your fast days will be turned to feasts of joy. So, Israel's call to renewed covenant obedience. A third reason here in verses 20 through 23. 
He calls them to renewed covenant obedience in view of God's purposes and glory. That's the last reason we see in verses 20 through 23, in view of God's purposes and glory. Verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. (laughs) Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Remember, he said, other nations are going to be noticing that God is blessing you. And it's cool because remember what sparked all this uh, occasion, you know, to bring the word of the Lord here? It was this delegation from Bethel saying, hey, you know, we see some good things happening here. And, you know, the temple's getting rebuilt. Do we need to keep this fast? And so he kind of uses that as a, a, a paradigm or a, a pattern, I guess, that's going to continue. He's saying, you know what? There's going to be lots of people coming to Jerusalem to check things out. Just like these guys came down from Bethel, that's going to start happening all over. And not just from Bethel 12 miles away. That's going to start happening from other nations. Just like the Queen of Sheba back with Solomon came. And she was drawn to Jerusalem because she heard of all the blessing that was going on. Likewise, people from other nations will be drawn to Jerusalem. Trying to figure out who is this God of Israel? He's blessing them so much. As Israel obeyed the covenant, thereby enjoying the great blessings of the covenant, they would be a display of God's glory to the world around them. People from other nations would come seeking the Lord themselves, wanting to meet God, wanting to know God, wanting to be recipients of God's blessings. So to summarize... God has mercifully forgiven his people for the sins that led to the exile and has graciously given them the second chance. God was returning to them in Jerusalem and he would enable them to rebuild the temple and he would dwell again in their midst. God was giving them a, Israel a second chance to live with him according to the Mosaic covenant. And so chapter 7 and 8 is calling them to covenant obedience, that they may enjoy God's blessings, that they may not suffer the curses for breaking the covenant like their fathers did. If they obeyed God, if they stayed faithful to God, then God would bless them abundantly, making them a display of his glory to the nations. But historically, Israel was not able to obey this way. Even this this restart, historically they were not able to, to obey and to fulfill this completely. Remember, they had, under the old covenant, they had the law of God on stone, but they did not have it written on their hearts. By God's grace, there was a godly remnant, but as a corporate people, they were not able to remain faithful to God and to be that blessing to the nations. But loved ones, please understand, where Israel failed, Christ succeeded. The eternal Son of God took on a human nature and was born Jesus of Nazareth. As a Jew, Jesus lived under the Mosaic Covenant and he obeyed the law perfectly. 
He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself. He rendered true justice. He showed that justice and that righteousness. Jesus was always obedient to God the Father. And we know his, obedient, his calling of, of obedience was unique, wasn't it? He was obedient even to the point of dying on the cross according to the Father's plan. And by dying on the cross, we talked about this when we studied Joshua, right? By dying on the cross, Jesus bore our sins and he bore the curses, the curse of God, the wrath of God that we deserve. He suffered the very wrath of God. And then having obeyed God perfectly, even to the point of death on a cross, God raised Jesus in victory on the third day. And the Bible is clear. Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the obedient son. If you can remember back like three or four years now, when we were early in our study of Matthew, Matthew made that point, right? Even in Jesus' life, when they fled to Egypt and as a boy to escape Herod's massacre, and, and then when Herod was dead, they, you know, they came back out of Egypt, said, out of Egypt I have called my son, quoting a prophet. He's saying Jesus is the true Israel. God had created the nation of Israel by calling them out of Egypt. But again, where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus was victorious. And that has such great implication, or what's the word I want to say? Consequences for us. Such great and marvelous results for us and for his glory. Now as Christians... We enjoy every spiritual blessing in Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law. He died under the curse of the law, though that's what we deserved. He didn't. He was sinless. But because of his obedience, he secured the blessings of the covenant for all who are united to him in faith. And as we read earlier in our scripture reading, as Christians... As those who are in Christ, by God's grace, through faith, through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, as Christians, we enjoy every spiritual blessing in Christ. Forgiveness of sins, freedom from bondage to sin, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, adoption into God's family, promise of an eternal inheritance of resurrection and life with God forever in His perfect eternal kingdom. Right? These blessings are spiritual now but one day they're going to be physical blessings as well when Christ returns we no longer I mean man the more you study and read preach teach whatever the Old Testament the more you're just so thankful for the new covenant right I remember feeling that way in Joshua and I'm certainly feeling that way now in Zechariah loved ones we no longer live under this constant threat of judgment or of trying to earn, secure God's blessing. Christ has taken our judgment, and Christ has secured our blessing. By Him being the perfect, obedient Son, the inheritance of resurrection, the inheritance of reigning over the new heavens and the new earth, belonged to Christ. He was the obedient Son. 
But in grace, he shares that with us who are united to Christ through faith. We are co-heirs with Christ. And so what is our call today? Our call is to trust and abide in Christ. Right? I mean, there's, there's obedience that, that we're called to do, and I'll get to that. But our call is to trust in Christ. We need to be in Christ. And then as Christians, to abide in Christ. By God's grace, Christians, we have been brought into eternal into an eternal, secure relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And now God desires a healthy relationship with us as well. And again, I'm, I'm using that term. That's my theme kind of today for the sermon. But I hope you understand what the point I'm trying to make. We've been brought into a relationship with God, praise God. And that is secure. But now, by God's grace, let us seek to have a healthy relationship with God. A relationship where we are loving God and worshiping Him from the heart. And I know we still battle sin and selfishness. But good news, great news, we have God's Spirit in us. Guiding us, empowering us, having already freed us and given us new life. We have God's Spirit, the very life of Jesus in us enabling us to love God and to love our neighbor. And so as we abide in Christ and his words abide in us, as John 15 says, his life will be increasingly lived through us by his spirit. And I don't really have time to go into this much, but again, you can study it on your own. John 15, and I also wrote Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Which says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you received him, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We were brought into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. It's because of the, the glory of God's grace. And now we enjoy a growing, healthy relationship with God the same way. Through faith in Christ by God's grace. And again, I just want to, I'll do a little parenthesis now and speak to any of you who may not be believers, non-Christians. Please understand, you can only have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. By nature, and maybe some of you are, are you know, have, have uh, thought this way or are thinking this way. By nature, we think we can try it. We can secure a relationship with God through our own works, right? Oh, you know what? I'm just going to try to be good. I'm just going to try to be religious. I'm going to come to church, right? Or I'm, I'm just going to be real kind. I'm going to be a real happy, joyful, positive attitude person. And I'm going to be kind to everyone I meet and try to make their life a little bit better. And, and again, I'm not saying those are bad things necessarily, but they will not secure, secure a relationship with God. Because we are sinners by nature, and we fall short of the righteousness God demands. 
We need perfect obedience, perfect righteousness. And we all sin in many ways. And so you can only have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but that's the good news is God has sent his son, Jesus Christ. He is a gracious God who who draws sinners to himself. He's provided salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And now his, his spirit goes out as the word is preached and opens people's eyes and says, you need this Savior. You need a relationship with God. You know there's a God who made you. And you know if, you look, if you're honest with yourself, when your head hits the pillow, you know that by nature you're separated from him. But you can be made right with him. You can be forgiven of all of your sins. You can be promised eternal life with him. You can be adopted into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. And that means you turn from your sins. You turn from any notion of trying to earn God's favor yourself. You, you, you recognize you're helpless. You're, and you humbly throw yourself on the mercy of God and embrace the Savior that he has provided. And again, that means trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection for your eternal salvation. And that means acknowledging him, embracing him as your Lord. You say, I'm done living for myself. I'm done trying to create God in, in my own image and, you know, think I can still live for myself but add a little God and this and that. No, I'm going to seek to live for God the way he has revealed and I recognize that his son, Jesus Christ, is Lord. That's becoming a Christian. That was kind of a long parenthesis, wasn't it? But it's an important one. We can only have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're brought into a relationship with God through faith in Christ, and now we enjoy a growing, I'm talking again to Christians, right? We're brought into a relationship with, Christ, with God through faith in Christ, and now we enjoy a growing, healthy relationship with God through faith in Christ. Continue, loved ones, by God's grace and the means of grace that he provides, the word, prayer, corporate worship, Fasting. Continue to glory in his person, in the the beauty of Christ. Continue to glory in the gospel. Don't move on from the gospel. Continue to glory in his person. Continue to rely on his spirit. Continue to trust his promises. Continue to glory in his grace. Continue to seek his word. Continue to enjoy his fellowship. And the life of Christ will be increasingly lived through you. And you'll, that desire that we all have as Christians will be stoked and stoked and fanned into flame. I love God and I want to please him. And as we love our neighbor, again, what Israel failed to do, by God's grace, we can do again in a, in a limited way, granted, now as the church. As we seek to worship God with true hearts, as we seek to love our neighbor, by God's grace, unbelievers, outsiders will see that. They may see something of Christ in us as we're seeking to show kindness to them, as we're praying for opportunities to to tell them the good news about Jesus. We may be the aroma of Christ to them. God may be drawing them to himself through us. 
And as we've mentioned several times in our study through Zechariah, the church now is the temple that God is building. We are the living stones. We are the place where God's spirit and glory dwells. And so then as we, again, by God's enabling, by the spirit, by abiding in Christ, as we are loving each other, as we are doing the one another's of scripture, as we are together worshiping God, people will notice. And as as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, outsiders, by God's grace, will notice and say, surely God is in this place. And oh, that, that God would be pleased to use us that way. That God would draw unbelievers here or, or, or baby Christians here. And that we would invite the unbelievers and, and baby Christians here. That they would come and meet with God and come and understand more about God and what He's doing through His people. Oh, I want so much for God to use us that way. And by His grace, He will. And for His glory, He will. Let's pray. Father, we praise You for being such a gracious, forgiving, merciful God. And as we see how You forgive and, 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 and warn and, and, and forgive again and return to your people in the old covenant, we, we know that you still have that same heart now and you certainly have demonstrated that through sending your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for being such a gracious, merciful, forgiving God. We praise you for your son. We praise you for uh, his, his finished work for his perfect obedience, for his sacrificial death, for his victorious resurrection. We praise you for your grace to, to unite us to him and to share that inheritance with us. Help us now to, to uh, be faithful to you. Again, as we sang, we know this, this can never come from our own strength. Lord, we need you. We, we, we want to obey you. We want to be set apart. We want to love you and worship you from the heart. Forgive us when we too fall into rituals. And Please grow us and use us to be a display of your glory to reach more and more people for the fame of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Stand together and sing a final song of praise.